I invite you to turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 24. We're going to continue our study, come back to our study in the book of Genesis. Genesis 24, found on page 17 in the Bibles there in front of you. This book speaks of origins, foundations. This is the bedrock upon which we live, the firm ground upon which we can stand. We learn about God and how he made the world, and we learn how we are to be living, and we learn that he is over the whole world, and yet he is intimately involved in all the details. And we want to see, we're going to see some of that this morning. He makes covenant with the crown of his creation, namely with mankind and He is one who keeps covenant. For background, since it's been a a while since we've been in Genesis, I'm just going to look at verses 16 through 23 uh, in summary. Genesis 16, we read that after 10 years in the promised land, Abram and Sarai had no child, and so Sarai gave her maidservant Hagar to Abram to have a child by her, and she conceived, and Sarai was upset about that and mistreated her, and Hagar ran away, and the Lord came and found her there in the wilderness, called her to return. She returned and lived with Abram and Sarai and gave birth to a son, Ishmael. And uh, there the Lord uh, continued to speak to Abram and Sarai. Abram was 86 years old at the time when Ishmael was born. Then Genesis 17, 13 years later, Abram's 99 at this point, the Lord appeared to Abram and reaffirmed his covenant with him giving him a new name, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. The Lord promises that he'll be the father of many nations. And he reaffirms that he and his wife, Sarah, would have a son. Genesis 18, the Lord promises, the Lord's promise of a son is there and the warning of judgment upon those outside the son, Sodom and Gomorrah being the focal point there of that 18th chapter of Genesis. Those in the sun are blessed, and those outside of the sun are, are under condemnation, under judgment. Genesis 19, God rescues Lot and his family from Sodom because of their connection with Abraham, and yet in that family there is a mixed multitude, some who persevere and some who will not. Genesis 20 tells us that Abraham's, Abraham's uh, uh, obedience is not perfect, he is seen lying there in chapter 20, and yet the Lord protects him as he swore to keep Abraham and his family. So he protected him, showing grace to him. Genesis 21 and 22, the Lord enables Sarah to conceive and give birth to a son at age 90. And then the Lord tests Abraham and says, take your son, your only son, and offer him on the mountain that I will show you. And Abraham gets up and he obeys and he goes and the angel of the Lord keeps him from sacrificing his son, and a substitute is provided, a ram in the thicket, as we remember from Genesis 22, is provided and offered to the Lord. Angel of the Lord appears again to Abraham and assures him that he will be blessed, and through his offspring, all the nations of the earth, all different backgrounds would be blessed. And chapter 23 records the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And then we come to our passage this morning, Genesis 24, where I invite you to turn your attention now. As we read from this, the holy word of God. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. 
And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran ahead to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets of her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, Tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed 
the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was, a, was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. To him he has given all that he has. Now here I'm going to take a break. We're going to move down to verse 49. But in the interim, the servant retells what's taken place and how he worshiped the Lord because the Lord answered him. And then he asks the family, verse 49, if they will let Rebekah go. Down in verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. The servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on their camels and followed the men, or the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold there were camels coming and Rebekah lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant who is that man walking in the field to meet us the servant said it is my master so she took her veil and covered herself and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of God stands forever. Friends, this is a beautiful narrative about a marriage made in heaven. And by that sermon title, I don't mean that Isaac and Rebekah never had a fight or never had a disagreement. What I mean is that God is behind this. God is above this. God is showing his steadfast love to his people and his intimate involvement in their lives. The key word, I I believe, in this section of Scripture is steadfast love, chesed. We see it numerous times in verses uh, 12 and 14 and 27, and then again in in verse 49, where the Lord speaks, or the, the Lord through his word speaks of that importance of steadfast love. 
behind the scenes is a personal God who exercises steadfast love toward all his creation and toward his people. It's true that the Lord of the heavens and the earth has no need of anything. Paul says that in Acts 17, right? When he's speaking to those on Mars Hill, he says to them, the Lord is not like these gods that you serve. He has no need of anything from you. Indeed, he's over all creation. And he's calling all to turn to him, to repent and to believe. God made all things because it pleased him to do so. He made man, not because he was lonely, but, but because they, he was pleased to do so and so that they might delight in him, might delight in his glory. And today we look at his glorious work, both morning and evening. We'll look at it again tonight, his incomprehensibility in his powerful way. The Lord works out his ways. This morning, I want to look with you at God's care over all the details, including and especially in the lives of his people. God's called Abraham out of all the nations to be the father of many nations. He called him out to act in obedience to his commands. There's an interplay between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility as we see it here, but also throughout all of Scripture. God says, yes, I am sovereign, but I am also calling you to be responsible, to be obedient. God draws people to himself and sets before all people his commands that they might know the way of life. Obedience to God is the only way to life. Now, Abraham did not do that perfectly, but through his life he learned how important it was to obey God. He learned that apart from God, trouble is close at hand. His lie in chapter 20 nearly led to the end of that promise that God had given him. To have a child with Sarah. When God calls, we are called to obey. To be those who live in newness of life. To to no longer live in the way that we once did. In the way we thought. The way we speak. The way we act. But to follow his commands. To trust that he will go before us and come behind us. When God chooses when God elects, it does not mean that he, he, he somehow secures us then and says, now you can do whatever you want because I, I, I've got you and I, I don't care how you live, but I'm just put my seal on you. That'd be a wrong understanding of election. God does elect. God does choose. It's throughout the scriptures. You can look, at, you can look throughout the scriptures and see that. But he calls us unto holiness, unto obedience. Those who are elect, those who are truly elect, desire to live holy lives. They want to know what God says in his word. They want to live in light of it. And they want all those around them, their children, their spouses, their neighbors to live. Keeping with God's commands for it is the way of life. One who is truly elect longs to be washed. Isn't that how it's spoken of in Ephesians 5? The husband washes his wife with the word. The bridegroom washing the bride with the word. We look back at our baptism See how God must wash our sins away. How God must change us from the inside to live for him. He works faith in us and provides payment for our sin in his son. Even after he works faith in us, however we sin, there must be atonement for our sin. God provides it. And God's children recognize 
that salvation is by grace alone, and yet, nevertheless, seek to live for the Lord out of gratitude, out of, out of a, a desire to show their love to God for His grace, for His covenant mercies. Well, Abraham was called out, he, and he believed, and his faith led to obedience. Not perfect obedience, but a growing obedience to God. And when Sarah died, we see Abraham's faith again in front of us. Where does Abraham bury his wife? He buries her in the land of promise. He doesn't go back to the land of his ancestors. He says, no, this is the land that God has given. Here in this place, though, there, though, though we are surrounded by those who are not worshipers of God, yet we know, I know, that God will give this land to my believing descendants. And then he acts in faith again, Abraham showing his faith decision upon decision. Upon Sarah's death, Abraham acts in faith for his son Isaac. He knows that, his, that he must get a wife for his son, not from among the Canaanites. He remembers what the, what the uh, people of God have said, that there is a curse upon the Canaanites. You can read about that back in Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. They're under a curse. They're idolaters. And he says that my son will not come from there or will not marry one from there. So he calls his servant to go back to his homeland to find a bride. Find a bride for his son. And interestingly, when the servant says, well, what if she won't come with me? Shall I take Isaac back with me? He acts again in faith. And he says, no, no, that's not the land of promise. That's not what God has promised to me. It is here where we must settle. It is here that God has called us to live, to live in faith, confident that he will keep his promises. Think about that for yourselves, where you live, the place where you live. Why are you where you are? Because God has put you there (laughs) in this time and in these places. Again, we could just think of Paul's words in Acts 17. He says that very thing. God puts people in particular places in particular times so that we might be witnesses. Those who trust God, walking by faith, knowing that God will lead. And so Abraham obeys. And he says, no, no, don't take my son back to the land that I've come from. Bring the one you will find, the wife for my son, and bring her here. We haven't moved to another land, but change has come all around us. Attitudes are changing. Culture is changing. Some have called this a strange new world. Well, it's not new in the sense that sin is not new. Rebellion is not new. But it might be a bit different than what we have experienced in decades past, generations past. God calls us to live here to obey his word here. His sovereignty does not negate our call to think upon his word and to live according to it. To review God's commands each and every day. To live them out each and every day. To remember his promises and not to fear. To trust not in your own understanding, but in all your ways to acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's how he wants us to live, wherever we are, at whatever time. 
Just let me be clear about what I'm trying to say. No one should think that God is sovereign, so he'll fix things if I just compromise here and there. It just, it's his job to kind of work this all out. He's sovereign. He knows how hard life is down here. Jesus was in the flesh. He, oh, wait. <laughs> he did come to earth. And he did not sin, but he trusted his father. In fact, he entrusted himself to his father and was obedient in all things. And God is now working that in you and in me that he might be glorified. God's sovereignty does not mean, well, you can live however you want and he'll, he'll fix it. Well, he does redeem us, doesn't he? He does, he does turn us away from sin, calling us out of the sin that we commit. But we must not put God to the test by sinful disobedience. We're to obey his word. To make good decisions about where... Our children are educated to teach them at home, to discuss why we do what we do using the Word of God to guide. Thinking about that this week, we had a discussion around the breakfast table. We had just uh, looked at, the, the kids had just looked at the basketball playoffs from the night before, all the highlights and the low lights, whatever you want to say. And they were not acting the way, these players were not acting the way they should have been acting towards each other, reckless and, and wild and showing what their priorities were. And it was all about winning. They didn't care about the other team. They cared about winning, and they were going to do whatever it took to win. And there was some sort of a uh, accolades put, put upon them because they had played so hard, and they were doing whatever it took. Just very interesting as we're talking about this. And then for devotions that morning, we read Colossians chapter 3. And it says this, As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together. It was a moment where the word spoke into the moment. This is how the world is acting, and this is how God wants us to live. And you could multiply the examples, I'm sure. And I hope that you do that in your homes where you see something in the world and you say, well, now what does God have to say about that? Are these things synchronized or is there a clear antithesis, a clear opposition here? One area where God speaks clearly is in marriage. Abraham knew how important this was. He wanted Isaac to begin well, to begin well and to end well. And he acted obediently even as God worked sovereignly behind the scenes by calling his servant to go to his homeland and find a wife for his son. And as the servant goes, he acknowledges or he shows what he has seen in his master Abraham. For as he comes into the land, what does he do? He bathes the whole process in prayer. As he comes and he places himself where he believes he should be, he bathes the whole process in prayer. That is so important. Be prayerful, people of God, in all that you do. Be prayerful. Praying continually. Whenever you confront something, whenever you're making decisions, the scriptures are very clear. Be prayerful, asking God for wisdom. Use biblical measure. We see him being prayerful. We see him using biblical measure here. 
He uses good sense as he looks for a wife for Isaac. He asks the Lord to lead him to a compassionate and gracious woman. We see that in verse 14. Verse 14, when he says this, Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. He's looking for someone who's compassionate, who's caring. So there are two elements right there in people for you as you think about spouses. We're not going to get too terribly specific, break it down any more than that, but be prayerful and be wise using biblical measure. How, what guidelines do you have as you look for a spouse? Do you look for a godly man to be your husband? Are you looking for a compassionate woman to be your wife? What are your guidelines? Yes, God is sovereign, and you can just say, well, it's just, it's just going to happen. If I, oh, there's the first person I see. That must be the one God has for me, because that's the first one that came to the door. No, that's not how we live. That's not how we act. Or, well, they, we, we can talk about the same things. We, we have similar interests. We both like to fish, or we both like to shop. Or we, no. That's not what governs and guides say to those who've had their children baptized today, what will you teach your children concerning marriage? What godly examples will you set before them? Say, well, pastor, it's a few years from now. Yeah, but now's the time you start now. You start when they're young, setting godly example, giving godly teaching, teaching them God's commands and not just saying, well, they'll figure it out. They'll just, it'll just, it'll just kind of click. No, we are those who recognize God's sovereignty, yes, but are also listening and looking for his leading. Well, back to God's loving care then in the midst of these, these actions that we take, we, we see God working behind the scenes. What's interesting, and I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 15, Rebecca is identified as... One related to Abraham. And I, hope, I don't know if you recognize this, but the servant doesn't know this yet. We're kind of confused to read the servant a little later, and he's, he's waiting, wondering if she's the one. And we're thinking, well, duh, it's right there in verse 15. But the, the writer of the narrative is saying, no, this is, this is what God is doing behind the scenes before the servant even discovers what's going on. The servant doesn't know. He doesn't know that this is Rebekah, born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. He doesn't know that. Well, that brings an interesting application, I think, to us. God is directing all the events, and yet we are to act according to what he has said, that we might see him in our lives. We must pray. We must act wisely, discerningly. And then we should marvel when we see God's love in our lives and say, he was there all along, working, directing, guiding. Listen to what the servant says in verse 26. Once he realizes who she is, once she explains in verse 24, this is who I am, he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. What a, what a wonderful thing to be able to say. The Lord has led me. 
the Lord is leading me. God is directing this seemingly chance meeting. Now we can hear the unbeliever kind of saying, well, pfft. Discussing probability. Well, of course, he's going to run into somebody from Abraham's family. He went back to Abraham's homeland. I mean, the chances are going to increase, right? But faith doesn't speak that way. Faith doesn't see that way. Faith sees God in the midst of all of this as he leads the servant. As he brings Rebecca to this place. Faith sees God at work and faith rejoices Faith rejoices because it sees a loving God and not mere random events. Rebecca's family recognized the Lord in this. They say in verses 50 and 51, this is from the Lord. He has spoken. It's right that she should go. That made me think of another question as I was, as I was reading the passage. Is that how it works with me when God speaks, when he's very clear? Do I just right away say, yeah, that's what I need to do? Do you do that? When God speaks, do you say, well, yeah, that, God is speaking. That's what I need to do. It's the way we should live. We don't just say, well, you know, we'll just go through life kind of bumping our, our heads and maybe scraping our knees every now and again, and things will just work out. We'll just kind of find our way. That's, that's fatalism. That's not faith. Faith in God grows as we follow his commands. Faith leads to obedience, and God continues to speak today. He tells us what is pleasing to him. He tells us the path that we should take to avoid misery, and he asks us, are you listening? The family hears the servant's account. They're ready to let her go, and then... And then they hesitate, verses 55 and 56, they hesitate to let Rebecca go. And they decide, well, we should ask Rebecca what she wants to do. And so they ask her, will you go? And she says, I will. That's the wonderful response of the one submitted to the word of God. God speaks, I respond, I will. We heard it in the vows taken this morning. Will you teach? Will you guide? Will you lead? And the parents said, we will. The congregation says, will you help? Will you uh, go before? Will you encourage? Will you build up? And you said, we will. Those are not just words that you throw together and discount. They're words that you own. They're words that you take hold of and say, yes, God has called me and I want to be that light. I want to be that one who's encouraging. I want to be that one who's instructing. I don't care what the world says about what I'm saying. If I'm speaking the word of God, then I am in the place where God would have me, for he is glorified in that. Remember, Genesis teaches origins and foundations. We learn about God and we learn about what he expects of us, and we are to respond in faith and loving obedience to his word. He expects uh, obedience. Rebecca returns with a servant, and Isaac and Rebecca become husband and wife. This is a, a beautiful love story, but there's something more that we need to see before we end, and that is, secondly, the Lord lovingly leads his people to eternal life. 
It's been noted by, by many of the parallels in this, uh, in this uh, uh, engagement with the life of Christ and the church. We marvel at God's steadfast love to the church, to his people in Christ. God did not send just any old servant to earth. He sent his own son, his only son, to lay down his life for his bride. Children, remember how Isaac's life was threatened, how he was going to be slain on that mountain when Abraham was asked to bring his, commanded to bring his child to the mountain. He brought him there, and what happened? The Lord provided a substitute so that Isaac would not perish. God's son did come and did die on the cross, bearing the penalty that we should have received for our sin. And in this, the Father shows his love. For there's agreement here. This is God's love being poured out. This is not God's strange notion of wanting to just inflict harm. He says, this is the only way for my people to be brought near, to be rescued from their sin, from death, is that my perfect son would take on flesh and bear their curse so that those who believe in him might be reckoned righteous and become children of God and the bride of Christ. As Paul says, I have betrothed you to one husband, Christ. 2 Corinthians 11. Therefore live as his bride. We see other parallels. Isaac was a child of promise, born to a barren woman. Miraculous birth. This pointed forward to the promised child to come, who would, be, it would also be conceived miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to offer life to the world. Son of God has become Savior and Bridegroom. The church is his bride, whom he calls out of the nations to join the family of faith. And there must be no hesitancy to go to this Bridegroom, or he rescues us from our sojourn on earth. He rescues us from our spiritual wanderings. Can you imagine Rebecca's life? It must not have been all that terribly exciting. Going to the well, getting water for the camels, going home, preparing the meals, going to the well, watering the camels, coming home. And sometimes you think, that's kind of how I feel. My life just seems kind of, huh. But do not forget that your loving Heavenly Father has placed you where he has placed you in your time in life in that particular location because he is training and teaching you so that you might serve him and others. This is a noble calling given to the crown of his creation, namely to humanity. And we are to do it with all our hearts as unto the Lord, knowing that he can use our seemingly insignificant work for his glory and not just knowing that he can, but that he does. We see that throughout all of the scriptures, and that is so wonderful. The Lord, the Lord works today. He speaks today. He says, I've come to rescue you out of your sin to live for me. He calls all his people to live pure lives. The young people, he says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God in your bodies. He says that to those who are older, he says, be committed to the vows you have made in your marriages, that you might serve one another and so 
reveal the love of Christ, the transformation that has taken place in your lives. And he said to the children, submit yourselves to those in authority over you. For God is the one who is guiding you. Indeed, that word is for each and every one of us to submit ourselves to him. So we consider all that these words mean to us. It's a wonderful passage that we have before us, which we've only looked at in very quick detail. But we see in it God's sovereignty over all events, and we see in it God's care for each and every event. Here a man goes and sends his servant to find a wife for his son, and God intimately personally is involved, leading, guiding, so that the line of faith might continue. That's what he wants to do in his people today, that we would continue to walk in faith and to teach that next generation the faith, once for all entrusted to the saints. This is God's amazing grace. Tonight we'll look more at this amazing and comprehensible God that we serve, but let's Let's turn to him now in prayer to praise and thank him for who he is, namely the one who is above us and the one who works in us by his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see your power. We see that you can control all things. In fact, you do. You put us in the place where we are to live for you. You give us that purpose, a glorious purpose, an honorable place to be those whose light shines upon you, to be those whose speech seasons and protects and points people to the word of life, even Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that you help us to see in your word, and we trust that you will help us to see in our lives all that needs to be removed and all that needs to be strengthened. Encourage us from the youngest to the oldest that you would receive all the honor and the glory and the praise in our everyday living. Forgive our many sins, for we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.